right, Exodus 19. Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully That's it. and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. All right. While he flips over to Deuteronomy 7. <laughs> Deuteronomy 7. I, I want to point out one thing in that one verse in, in Exodus 19.5. It says, if you will what? Obey. If you will obey these commandments, right? So there is now a stipulation of how they receive the blessing. Remember, all the way up to this point, we've been talking about these covenants. And all the way up to this point, they've been blessed even whenever they act like heathens, right? Now, they're not, I'm not saying there's not consequences for their actions because there were times that they got held back or things like this. They got held back for their actions. But God still loved them. There was no anger from God. He still continued to bless them and that kind of connection, even though despite their behavior. So now this verse says in Exodus 19.5, we are here with Moses and he tells them, if you don't keep this covenant... You don't hold true to that. X on you, right? All right. Now, look at what it says in Deuteronomy 7, verse 12. <laughs> I want you to get that one. I tried. <laughs> All right. If you, just 12. Just 12. Okay. If you pay attention to these lies and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep His covenant of love with you as He swore to your ancestors. If you will keep them, what's going to happen? If you're going to keep these commandments, then what's going to happen? Then you'll get the blessing and the love of God, right? All right, now let's go over four more chapters to chapter 11. Same book. <laughs> 11, chapter 11, verse 26 through 28. Chapter 11, verse 26 through 28. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have also, which you have not known. That's it. Yep. So what's he saying here? Same thing, right? We're establishing this new covenant with Moses, right? So we had this covenant with Abraham, and all because of your what with Abraham? What do we say? We use that word kind of what we use in dogs sometimes. <laughs> Pedigree, right? Your, your line, your, what you come from, your family history, your family line, right? That DNA strand coming from Abraham down. Simply because if you in Abraham's family, you were what? Blessed, Right? Now we got something else happening. So in this, right, so if we looked at all the, the major covenants, some of, some of the major covenants that we look at throughout the Bible, there's eight of them I said the other day. Uh, so you got like uh, the Edenic uh, covenant, you got the Adamic covenant, so that was in Eden. Then you got with Adam. Then you got Noah's covenant, remember Noah, whenever the flood happened and the rainbow. Then you got Abraham, which we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Then you have Moses. Moses is where we're getting at today. All right. So then you got the Palestinian um, covenant that happened, and then David's covenant, and then you have the new covenant with Jesus. 
And then there are five major covenants. When a lot of people talk about five major covenants, they talk about, they talk about Noah, they talk about Abraham, they talk about Moses, they talk about David, and they talk about Jesus. Remember, we said we're going to focus on these three because they're the most talked about in the New Testament, which is Abraham, Moses, and Jesus, right? So now today we are transitioning from that Abraham covenant to Moses' covenant, right? You going to help him read? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so, that's right. That's right. So up to this point, right, we've talked about for the last couple of weeks is how you going to know, right? If you're in that sea, you are blessed, right? And anybody who blesses you will also be blessed. And anybody who curses you, they're going to be cursed, right? Because simply because you are who you are. No other reason. Right? Then last week, remember how we looked at how Abraham was like, how am I going to know I'm going to get this land? He said, I'll show you how you're going to know. He made a covenant with him, right? Remember, and he split out the animals all the way down. And they walked through. Traditionally, both parties would walk through, but did Abraham walk through this one? No, only God. Why? Signifying, saying, this is nothing on you, Abraham. There is nothing required of you to keep this covenant with me. It is simply on me. Right? That's why Abraham can now and his seed be blessed despite their behavior. And remember those list of things that we just went through last week or week before last and there was like they were grumbling, complaining, Moses mad at them, God mad? Nope. Complaining about not having no food. What they do? God says, here, here's some manna. But don't do it on, on the Sabbath. What they do? Do it on the Sabbath. Moses mad, God's not. Remember all that? How we just keep going through all these things. They needed, they had bitter water. He made it sweet for them. Um, they didn't have any water. He got water come from a rock. Remember all those things. And at any time did God get mad? It never says he burned with anger. It never says he got mad. Nothing. He just continued to bless them. Right? Then we get to this. And then Moses. These are all Israelite people coming down from Abraham's line up to this point. Right? Here we are, we're at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, which is the first passage we were supposed to read earlier. (laughs) Exodus 19. And so the people here, they're agreeing in that passage that he read in verse 5. They're agreeing that, that God said, here, here's this part of this covenant. And if you don't keep this, it's not going to work out too well for you. Like that is now this new covenant that we're going to make. Now, you still back, you got your Bible still open to that part? Read verse 8. Look at what they say they'll do. When God gives them this command, look what they say in verse 8. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. When he presented this to the people, the people said unanimously, we can do it. We can do it. Right? Just like on, on that movie, right? You can do it. They say we can do it all night, right? And all day and forever. Like, try us in this. We can do it. Can they do it? There's no possible way they can keep up with this, right? So in Exodus 19, the people are coming to agree. And so there the covenant is made. And they're saying, yes, we can do it, right? In chapter 24, I'm going to go through some of these. And you can just kind of follow along through your Bible, but I'm not going to take time to just read through the Bible simply because 
I got a lot I want to cover, so I'm just going to kind of hit some high points of where these parts are. You can kind of just follow along in your Bible. But in chapter 24, they confirm this oath with a blood oath. And Moses goes up the mountain for how many days? Remember? 40 days. So he goes up to the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he goes up there for 40 days. And that's whenever he's getting the big stone tablets that we call the what? Ten Commandments. And just as he gets them, I mean, God is writing, it says, with his finger on these tablets, right? And I'm talking about just as the moments happen and he's finishing up the finishing touches and giving them to Moses. What does it say with God? Anybody know? You following along? Look at, we started at chapter 24. And it says that God was angry with the people. This is the first time that we have with the Israelite people that it says that God's anger burned against his people. First time. The first time recorded. Why? What did just previously happen? They agreed they could do it. Now what are they doing down there? Anybody remember? Worshiping false God, building an idol, golden calf, right? He been on for 40 days and they already pulling these stunts, right? And he's just finishing up, giving him the tablets, and he's like, Moses, my anger burning against them people. <laughs> right? They've been worshiping false gods before. They've been rebellious before. But now, all of a sudden, it's like God changed. Did God change? What happened? What changed? The covenant changed. They the same too. <laughs> they still rebellious. They still worshiping like they ain't supposed to. They still doing like they ain't supposed to this whole time. The only thing that has happened, the only transition that has taken place is there has been a new covenant established, right? And in chapter 32, they're struck with a plague and 3,000 of Abraham's descendants die. 3,000 of Abraham's descendants die. So six months... They got the glory cloud over this tabernacle. So it's like this building time of, of Moses establishing these rules and setting up the priestly temple, right? Where we have the priestly sacrifice system. Um, it's established. Why? Why they established this sacrificial system now? To alleviate God's burning anger against them, right? For their sins that they're committing. All right? And so he established that. So they're walking through that. And after a year on Mount Sinai, the glory cloud begins to move away. And begins to take them towards the land of promise. So the people get up after a year and they start traveling again. So here they are, they're traveling. And in Numbers 11, and if you would just turn to Numbers 11 because I'm going to kind of go through some of these chapters real quick in Numbers. This is just the account of what Moses and these people were doing. So in Numbers 11, first three days of traveling, can you guess what the people started doing? Just guess, just guess, wild guess. <laughs> Complain. How'd you guess? Because <laughs> they still the same, right? They start complaining. And this time, instead of God saying, what do y'all need? Let me help you out. Y'all want some food? Here's some food. You want some water from the rock? Here's a rock. And I'll get you some water. What's wrong? Not this time. They begin to play, complain three days in and fire falls and kills a bunch of them. That's a drastic difference, guys. Are y'all following? Like, I think Rachel's on one guy. She over back there, like, holy cow, like, right? Like, think about this. Like, they went from seeing all these things and the way they were living, and now Moses comes down and says, This way it's going to be, because y'all agreed to it. 
And now they complain and poof, fire, right? And a lot of them die. They start complaining about the food. God gets anger again. Guess what happens? The plague comes and they, a lot of them what? Die. Numbers chapter 12. Miriam complains about Moses. Guess what happens to her? She gets leprosy. You'd think they'd quit complaining, wouldn't you? You're like, well, I think I get it. I think enough of them. I think I can see the pattern here. I'll just keep my mouth closed, right? Nope, don't happen. Chapter 13, 12 spies sends out Joshua and Caleb. Remember that story? The 12 spies go out. Joshua and Caleb come back with the good news, positive news, and the 10 do what? All negative Nancys, right? And here they come back with their negative news. They end up dying as well. Again, you think you'd learn your lesson. Chapter 15, man gathers wood on the Sabbath, not supposed to be working or doing anything on the Sabbath. Immediately what happens to the man? Died. See the drastic difference that's happened now all of a sudden? Remember all those blessings we've been reading about over the last few weeks? We're like, hooray, yay, I'm Abraham's seed. Today you're reading, you're like, ah, don't put me in Abraham's seed. <laughs> right? See how drastic of a difference? Chapter 16, Korah and a group of 250 oppose Moses and his leadership. Guess what happens to him? It's like a scene from a movie. It says the ground opens up and swallows him and his household. Done. Can you imagine the scene? 250 of them all say, oh, I'm going to complain about Moses. Like, what in your right mind have you not been watching this whole time? Right? And now his whole household, because it says household, so we don't know exactly how many, but that could be, that could be all of it. That could be cattle. If he had livestock, he had anything. It could be his whole possessions, everything. <laughs> Swallowed up in history. Sayonara, no longer Korah, are no more descendants of Korah. Right? Like that's like that, like that's the significance there. Like it's cut off. Like his family line is cut off, right? Like it's gone. Because why? He questioned God's authority that He put in place, which was Moses, right? People, guess what they do? Don't phase them. Guess what they do now? They blame Moses and start complaining about Moses that it's his fault that Korah and his household got swallowed up. So they start complaining against Moses. Did like you gotta ask, are they mental? Like, what, do you got any common sense? Like, just think about what you're doing here. But what happens? They complain, blame Moses, and a plague comes and kills fourteen thousand seven hundred of them. Like you're getting the picture here. The covenant before they complained, yeah. they, they, uh, they complained and they end up being blessed. Bliss. Yeah. Here they go to complaining and, and they die. And it's a whole different result. Maybe That's right. Cannot figure out. That's right. They're like, it's never happened before. Mm-hmm. It's got to be something else. It's got to be something else. Got to be something else on the hundredth try. Got to be something else. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not waking up. Okay. Chapter twenty-one. They start grumbling, start complaining again about the food and the water. This time, venomous snakes come. Remember the snakes? So here come the snakes, and many of them die again. So why God like this? It's like he's got a personality disorder, right? Like he's the 
bad cop, good cop that we say a lot of times, like God's the bad cop, Jesus is the good cop, right? And because whenever we think about Old Testament God, what do we think about? These stories right here that we're just reading. Right? That's what we always go back to. When we think about Papa, we think about, oh, that's the Father, but you better watch out, Father, because you never know when he's going to have his um, mood swings and he's going to get off on you. Like, he may be blessing you today, but better not mess up because see what happened when they messed up? This is what happens when you mess up. Right? Isn't that what we do? We think he's bipolar. It's like, calm down, God. Can't you get a grip here? I mean, all they did was complain. It ain't like they went out and killed somebody, and you killing them. Can't you see that? That mind shift working? Do we not talk about God that way today? Have you not heard stories like that as you've been growing up in church? Better not lie in church. God strike you down. You do Ananias and Sapphira. Which we just don't go into the whole story of that, but it's a whole other sermon. But here's the deal. It's like he's this bipolar guy, but as we said at the very beginning, has God changed? No. Has the people changed? No. They are exactly the same as they were before. So what changed? The covenant. The covenant changed. That's all that changed. God didn't change. The people didn't change. The only thing that changed was the covenant. From Egypt all the way to Sinai, blessings, compassion, generosity, despite their behavior, no matter what they did, no matter how they complained, no matter how rebellious they were, blessings. Then later on, here we are, new covenant, and they just getting thrashed or dying, literally dying. We're talking about thousands of people dying. Like that last one, remember that last one I read? 14,000 died on that, on that one incident alone. Like, we ain't talking about like, you know, we look around and we think, man, it's bad right now with COVID. So many have died. All oh, these people, amongst them, to their right, to their left, are dying. This is serious stuff. Like, they're... Like, why is God mad at us? Why is he always mad at us? Get that? Do we live like that today? Not working out right? Why is God mad at me? Why is God mad at me? Are we warn our neighbor? Are we tell people? See, that's why he sent that hurricane New Orleans. That people should have woke up. So what God are you identifying with? God's still the same. Covenants are what change. Do you know that you can live under a covenant that you don't even have to live under no more? It's your choice. It's your choice. So what changed was his relationship. Grace was based off of their pedigree from the very beginning. Now it's pedigree plus behavior, right? So God's curse was not just for Abraham's enemies now. It's now also for anybody in Abraham's line that is disobedient. So all those curses that went to Abraham's enemies is now falling on his people if they're disobedient. So no longer is it based off of pedigree and based off it's based off of pedigree plus 
pedigree plus. That's why a lot of times even now in our relationship with Christ, we say it can't be anything. It can't be Jesus plus. That's not the covenant we live under. It's Jesus only covenant. It's not the Jesus plus covenant. It's not the Jesus plus you get all these things right covenant. It is Jesus covenant. Right? And that's what happened with these people. They're no longer living under their covenant with Abraham. They have established because they agreed in blood saying, yes, we can do it. But they could not do it. They could not make it happen. And this continues, this lifestyle. I want you to think about this now. This is now introduced to them as the new normal. All the way. For almost 2,000 years, like 1,900 years. I can't remember. I should have wrote it down. But it's like 1,900-something years. So it's almost 2,000 years from this moment until Jesus. And a lot of times when we see tragedy, we're like, we can't handle another six months of this. Living generation after generation after generation under the curse of the law. They need a rescuer. They need somebody to come in and say, enough's enough. You can't do it on your own. There's no possible way. So let's look at what Paul says in Romans. Have your Bibles. Go with me to Romans. That was a good introduction. (laughs) Now let me get something to drink before we start preaching. (laughs) Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse 7, Paul. Remember when we talked about Paul the opening weekend of when we started talking about covenants? Remember Paul said, if I could boast, anybody could boast. Who could boast? Paul can. Paul's like, I could boast among every one of you. Like, you suckers ain't got nothing on me. Like, if I'm pedigree, here I am. Starts going, naming all his line. Showing that he is the pedigree of the pedigree, right? Like he got his papers, <laughs> so to speak. Then here you, then he's like, and if you want to base it off works, come look at me too. Like I was so intently going to make sure that everybody followed this thing, that anybody of Jesus, anybody of the way, I was going to get them, kill them out. Bro, they done. Like I am that committed to the Torah. And then Jesus smacked me on my journey, right? To show me it is no boasting in pedigree or in my works, but only in Christ alone. So here, Paul, we're picking up in chapter 7 of Romans. And I want you to understand some language that is going on with Paul. A lot of this that Paul's talking about is not talking about him specifically. He's talking about this group of people that we've been reading about all morning These Israelite people who he is talking about, right? Who have been living under the curse of the law their entire lives from generation to generation. That's who he's talking about. A lot of times when he is addressing here in chapter 7, he's addressing and, and identifying him as what? One of those kind of people because that was his pedigree. And he's trying to get them to see, look, I know what you're saying. Like, I know. I understand. I grew up in that. Up until Jesus smacked me on the road to Damascus, I I was there. Right? 
So that's where he's coming from. That's the mentality he's coming from. So as I'm reading this, I want you to understand he's, his audience and why he's saying what he's saying. He's been living this, and they have been living this for almost 2,000 years. And he's trying to get them to wake up and to see there's no longer a curse of this law. Okay? So here we go, verse 7 of chapter 7. So what shall we say about all this? Am I suggesting that the law is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that gave us the clear definition of sin. For example, when the law said, do not covet, it became the catalyst to see how wrong it was for me to crave what belongs to someone else. It was through God's commandment that sin was awakened in me. It was what? Through God's commandment that sin was awakened in me. Not righteousness, by the way. And built its base of operation. Think about that. The law did that. The law did what? It awakened sin in you. Not only did it awaken sin in you, it gave it a foundation to build from so that you live your life from that place in sin. And condemned by sin. Did you hear me say earlier, you can live under a covenant that's not even yours anymore? Got to break these chains. When we talk about singing, singing, breaking these chains, sometimes it's a lot more than just what we're doing to ourselves daily. Sometimes it goes to a base of something like this. Okay? For in the absence of the law, sin hides dormant. I once lived without a clear understanding of the law. But when I heard God's commandment, sin sprang up to life and brought with it death sentence. The commandment that was intended to bring life brought me death instead. Sin by means of the commandment built a base of operation within me to overpower me and put me to death. What did? No. What awakened that sin to do that? By the means of the commandment built a base of operation within me to overpower me and put me to death. What did then? The means of the what? Commandment. So then... We have to conclude that the problem is not with the law itself, for the law is holy and its commandments are correct for our good. But listen to this. So does something meant to be good become death to me? Certainly not. So you're like, dude, you all over the place. Is, it, is the law good or is it bad? Just tell me, right? <laughs> like he's just arguing with himself back and forth. He's trying. Remember, you got to remember his audience. That's why I went through all that this morning. I want you to understand where he's coming from. A lot of times in Western culture, we don't understand what he's saying here. He is an Israel. He is one of those guys. His family line has been living in this for two thousand years, guys. He has been under the curse of this law, okay? But yet they have stuck to that law to the T. Why? They scared to death. They're scared of Papa. You can't say. That's why they're mad at Jesus all the time. Whenever Jesus is out there calling him Abba intimately. Like this is my intimate father. You can't do that because you're going to do something in a minute and he will strike you down. He's not an intimate Papa. And Paul has found this new revelation. And he wants his people to get it. He wants them to understand what has transitioned Okay, So he says, certainly not. It was not the law, but sin unmasked that produced my spiritual death. The sacred commandment merely uncovered the evil of sin so it could be seen for what it is. 
For we know that the law is divinely inspired and comes from the spiritual realm, but I am a human being made of flesh and trafficked as a slave under sin's authority. I'm a mystery to myself, for I want to do what's right. But in the end, doing my moral instincts condemn. And then my behavior is not in line with my desire. And again, my, a lot of my study notes talks about that verse right there because a lot of times we'll go back to Paul and we'll say, we'll see Paul, he, he struggled all the time. He just struggled all the time. Again, most of my notes go back to say he is identifying with his people here for generations to generations. He is not specifically saying, hey, me right now. And I'll prove that in just a minute. But he's saying, look, this is how we've identified from generation to generation, guys. Like, I know, I understand. Like, I've always, I've been wanting to do what's right, but, and had a desire to do what's right, but then in the end, I do it, what? Wrong. To the point that we even, who are, I mean, we can say, well, we don't go by that law anymore, but we turned around and made law of Paul's teachings. That's right. As though, That's right. As though we got to do Paul's teachings to the T now. That's right. All he's doing is trying to teach us how to walk in, in a, in the Holy Spirit and walk in relationship. That's right. And That's not, right. Not hey, you can't say this and you can't do this. That's right. Turn around, and make laws of even the even new. the new. That's right. That's right. So then he says, verse sixteen: If my behavior is not in line with my desire, my conscience still confirms the excellence of the law. And now I realize that it's no longer my true self doing it but the unwelcome intruder of sin in my humanity. For I know that nothing good lives within the flesh of my fallen humanity. The longings to do what is right are within me, but willpower is not enough to accomplish it. We know that, right? Because we've watched these people since the, what I just read to you in the Old Testament. We've watched them from generation do exactly what he's saying. It was not by willpower, obviously. Because you could look at all these people from generation to generation and you're like, dude, why can't you wake up? Like, you idiot. <laughs> you just what you want to say to him. Like, come on, get it together. And then he says, my lofty desire to do what is good and dash when I do the things I want to avoid. So if my behavior contradicts my desires to do good, I must conclude that it's not my true identity doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin hindering me from being who I, what? Really am. That's what it's doing. It's keeping you from being who you were really made to be in Christ. Through my experience of this principle, I discovered that even when I want to do good, evil is ready to sabotage me. Truly deep within my true identity, I love to do what pleases God. But I discern another power operating in my humanity, waging a war against the moral principles of my conscience and bringing me into captivity as a prisoner to the law of sin, this unwelcome intruder in my humanity. What an agonizing situation I'm in. So, who has the power to rescue this miserable man from the unwelcome intruder of sin and death? Again, see how he's, he's setting all his people up to say, guys, I know y'all feel this. Like, I know y'all feel this gut-wrenching pain that we've been in for 2,000 years. Like, that's what he's been doing. Paul writes so beautifully. He does. He's just, he's so, he's so good at his writings. And, and he's, he's setting his people up to say, y'all feel it? Y'all feel what I feel? And he's, then, he, then this is what he drops this mic on. So who has the power to rescue this miserable man from the welcome, unwelcome intruder of sin and death? I give all my thanks to God for his mighty power has finally provided a way out through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. He is what? Finally 
Finally. He uses the word finally there because it's like, dude, we've been living this for so long. Our ancestors were like, please, could we have what we got right now? And Paul's wanting to awaken to the truth that look what we got now, right? And he says, it is now offered to us through our Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed one. So if left to myself, the flesh is aligned with the law of sin, but now. He says, when? Right now. My renewed mind is fixed on and submitted to God's righteous principles. Which is who? Jesus Christ. <laughs> like he says, my mind has to be fixed on this now. Like, if, you're, if you want to live under the law, you can. You want to live under the law, you, you can. But you're going to die by the law. You want to live under the law, you're going to die by the law. But I need you to awaken to this truth and fix your mind on this new covenant. That's what he's telling them. Look at, look at verse 1 of the next chapter. So now. He just ended with so now. Like this is us now. He says, so now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. There is no condemning voice. Whatever they, whenever we just looked at, when they were doing that, and they were, they were oh, you, you want to you wanna go against Moses? You want to go against him? You want to talk about, about my boy Moses? Go ahead. Swallow you up. You talk about a condemning voice. Right? I want to complain, but you don't have enough to eat, don't have enough to drink. You want to complain about that? Go ahead, 14,000 die. You talk about a condemning voice. Like, these are, these are not major crimes that I'm talking about, guys. These are just things that we do all the time. Just go to your workplace tomorrow and just open your ears. You want to hear how much complaining and grumbling starts going on? And yet, if we were under that law, we wouldn't be here right now. He says there's no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are what? Joined in life union with Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life flowing through the anointing of Jesus has liberated us from the law of sin and death. It's liberated us. From what? The law of sin and death. The condemning voice that says, this ain't going to work out. The seed that was given to you, Des. And then Brent, as he mentioned earlier, there was another seed that was planted a weed to make you doubt. That's an accusing voice. That's going to say, which one are you going to choose? Life or are you going to choose death? Again, not based off of your actions, but based off of what you believe. Verse 3, for God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish. Can you imagine what this sounds like to these people? For 2,000 years they've been living in this. Do you understand how liberating they're going to start to feel if they really believe it? There's a lot that's going to doubt him. There's a lot that's going to condemn Paul. There's a lot that's going to tell Paul's a heretic. There's a lot that's going to talk about Paul. There's going to be trying to uh, kill Paul or, or jail Paul because of what he's saying. But for the people that will believe, do you realize how liberating this is for them? 
that their whole life and for every ancestor behind them, they have been living under this law of condemnation and now they are what? Set free. For those who believe it. Can you imagine how the freedom must have felt as it washed over them? Because the law was limited by the weakness of human nature, yet God sent his son in human form to identify with human weakness, clothed with humanity. God's son gave his body to be the sin offering so that God could once and for all condemn the guilt and power of sin. So now every righteous requirement, every one of them, of the law can be fulfilled through the anointed one living his life in us. And we are free. To live not according to our flesh, but by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. We're no longer. Like, he's saying, guys, look. We don't have, like, it's not even, like, Jesus fulfilled everything. Like, you know they got these questions. They're good Hebrew children. Because you know they got these questions like, I don't understand, like, how can that happen? Because I know it's got to be, I know this, this, this covenant is, is in existence. I, I mean, I know all this. I know, I know how this thing works. I know there's got to be a sacrifice. They're going through all these things in their mind. And he says, look, guys, Jesus fulfilled all the requirement. There's no more requirement for you. There's no more pedigree plus works. Pedigree plus performance it's simply not even pedigree anymore it's simply either in Christ or you're not first five those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves but those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities for the sense and reason of the flesh is death but the mindset controlled by the Spirit finds life and peace in fact the mindset focused on the flesh fights God's plan and refuses to submit to his direction the what does? mindset where's the greatest battle? in the mind and believing that what he says is true For no matter how hard they try, God finds no pleasure with those who are controlled by the flesh. But when the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And if you are not joined into the Spirit of the Anointed One, you are not of Him. Now Christ lived His life in you. And even though your body may be dead because of the effects of sin, His life-giving Spirit imparts life to you. Why? Because you're fully accepted by God. You're accepted. It's no longer, again, pedigree or pedigree plus performance. It's you are accepted because you are in Christ Jesus. Yes, God raised Jesus to life. And since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, he will also raise your dying body to life by the same spirit that breathes life into you. So then, beloved ones, the flesh has no claims on us at all. And we have no further obligation to live in obedience to that law. For when you live, listen, when you live controlled by the flesh, you are about to die. In other words, when you live under that old covenant of trying to keep that law and trying to stick to it, you're going to die. But if the life of the Spirit puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh, we then taste His abundant life. That you got to get it in here. 
You remember Jesus whenever, I think it's in John 3, whenever um, he talks about the snakes. Remember? We just read that about those venomous snakes. And remember he held the snake up and whoever would look upon the snake would live. Jesus uses that comparison to himself. If you would look upon me. See, a lot of people, we just read in that story, a lot of people died. Why? They didn't believe enough to look. I don't believe that. The nonsense ain't going to help me. You know, a, a way was provided every time. But they didn't believe. And here a way has been provided for every one of us in this room. And he says we still have a choice to either live under that old rule of law that produces death, or we can live in Christ Jesus which produces life abundant. It's belief. It's belief. So just close your eyes for a minute. Beginning of chapter 8 says, There is now no condemning voice. When you think about yourself, really think about yourself. When you look into the mirror, what is the first thought that comes to your mind? Is it a condemning voice? It says you're not good enough, not pretty enough. Not skinny enough. You'll never be enough. Too young, you're too old. You're sickly. Whatever it is. What's the first thing that pops through your mind? Because if it's a condemning voice, you're living under the flesh. You're living under the condemnation. Because you're choosing to believe the lie. And the lie empowers the liar. You see, the liar has no power unless you give it to him by believing the word that he sends to you. But by believing the word that Christ has sent to us, the word that we read through Paul's letters today, is life and it's life abundant. What he wants to give you today is life and life abundant, not based off your performance, not even based off of your are a Jew. Simply because you are in Christ Jesus and you choose to believe you are in Christ Jesus. In John 17, I am in you and you are in me. But here's, guys, here's where rubber meets the road. We're going to prove whether we believe that or not by our lifestyle. We're going to take risks that normal people don't take. We're going to choose to believe that he is good even when it seems like it's not. We're going to believe for people to be healed whenever the doctors say there's no chance. We're going to believe that relationships are going to be restored whenever you say, but I have a history of brokenness. We're going to believe the wayward child comes home even when he says he never will.
So here's the deal, guys. Moses on Mount Sinai right here. The New Testament clearly says you have moved from Mount Sinai to now Mount Zion where you live and are established in Him. That's your mountain. Where it's done, it's finished. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You're lender to many nations. You never had to borrow. Everything you have is blessed. Everything you touch is blessed and prosperous in Jesus' name for His kingdom and His kingdom purposes. That's who you are. You have a new nature. Your new nature is Christ Jesus' nature has been given to you. That's your new nature. But your identity is who you are in Christ Jesus. So each one of us have our own special identity in this room to, to do the things that he has called us to do. Who has called Bill to rise up and to, and to see over businesses and have a mind that can go through those things. Brent to incorporate insurance, but also be able to speak life into people and lives because they are hurting. Nine times out of ten, they're calling about something that has gone wrong, and he has an opportunity to speak life into their life. And he's given him an identity to walk through that. He's given Alex an identity at work. Say, oh, that's the boy that, uh, he's a little different, but... He has some wisdom about him to be so young. I wonder where he gets that from. I know his daddy. I'm just kidding. Aaron, the supernatural ability where kids are attracted to him when they're not attracted to a lot of other teachers in that building. And he can speak things to kids that they will accept before they accept it from somebody else. But you do it with the nature of that of Christ Jesus. See, there's a different identity for every single one of you in this room. You identify in Christ because your new nature is in Christ, but you each have an individual scroll that has been that has been spoken over you, just as Brent said earlier, and an individual scroll has been spoken over you for life and your time for you to come into alignment with what it is because Satan has been his whole energy spending trying to get you not to see what is written on your scroll. And today we say no more. We say today we come into alignment with the scroll that is written over our life and we say yes and we say amen, Father. We say it is ours and we take it. We say yes and we say amen, so be it. As you have spoken over our life and you have spoken over our life to bring good into this world. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans for a bright hope and a future, says the Lord today. He says, but take heart, take heart. You see, in this world there will be trouble, there will be tribulations. And you're going to face those in the days ahead. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. And you will shine in a dark, dark world. You will shine bright. You will continue to shine. A thousand may fall at your right. A thousand may fall at your left. But you will not fall. For you will rise up on wings like eagles as you wait upon the Lord. And you will soar high, high above. 
the enemy. In fact, you will grab the enemy by your talons and you'll take him up to the sore high places where he can't even breathe anymore and he dies and falls to death beneath your feet. Yeah, he may bruise your heel for a moment, but you're going to walk in victory forever. And we will not fear, for we are children of the Most High God. Where love has conquered all fear and we are in perfect love. Perfect love has cast out all fear. We are no longer under a covenant or a declaration of a condemning voice that says you will die. But we live under a new covenant in Christ Jesus who breathes life to our mortal bodies. For the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And by his stripes we are already healed. blessings, His favor, they follow us. Follow us everywhere we go. And signs and wonders follow us because we believe. And what the enemy has stolen, what the enemy has taken, is going to restore double for your trouble. Beauty from ashes. Restore, restore, restore in this room. Restore. Build back. Build back. Just begin to worship Him where you are. I can tell across the room several of those words landed on some fertile hearts. Just begin to worship. Worship over that seed spoken over you. Just begin to worship. Receive the seed implanted to you. James says, receive the word implanted for your salvation, for your sozo, for your wholeness. Begin to worship over that seed. Begin to declare 